Welcome back to Broken Messenger. Today we will be in part three of a seven-part series on the Churches of Revelations. If you have not listened to one or two, I highly suggest that you go back and listen to them first. In our last episode, we looked at the Church of Smyrna, and we ended when I posed the question to you. Was Smyrna convicted, commended, or both? Well, as we read on to the other churches, we will see a pattern with the phrase, but this I have against you. But in the letter to Smyrna, we don't have we don't see that phrase or anything negative addressed. Because of this, we know that they were only commended. There's something to be said about suffering extreme persecution for your faith. In other countries, I'd almost say they are lucky to be persecuted. And here's why I say that. In America, we have many choices. We have so many luxuries that we don't understand that strong connection to God that persecution brings. We have taken for granted the relationship with Jesus. The only thing that they have to cling to is Jesus. The only hope they have in living is found in Jesus. Here in America, we might say we rely on Jesus, but we also rely on ourselves, on our jobs, on our transportation, on worldly things. We have many distractions from Jesus. Because of that, should we be put to the test by Satan, I fear that many will fall away from the faith because we're not ready to give up our common day luxuries. We are far too addicted to everything and that we begin to put that above our faith. So the church of Smyrna was only commended, and in that case, we should aim to live more like the believers of Smyrna did, poor by world standards, but rich by biblical standards. Next, we're going to be looking at the church of Pergamum. Revelations 2, starting in verse 12, to the angel to the church of Pergamon, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. My study Bible has this to say about the actual city of Pergamon. Pergamon was built on a hill 1,000 feet above the surrounding countryside, so it became a natural fortress. It was a sophisticated city, a center of culture and education. It also was the center of four cults. It rivaled Ephesus in the worship of idols. If you remember, Ephesus had the great riot because the manufacturers of idols realized that Paul was going to cost them money if people began to follow his teachings. The city's main little g-god was represented by a symbol, which was that of a serpent, and was con- he was considered to be the god of healing. Many people would come from all over to seek the healing from this god. Because of the four, these four cults and their idol worship, Pergamon was called the city where Satan has his throne. I am a firm believer in spiritual warfare going on all around us that we cannot see. That our actions have the ability to welcome demons into our homes and lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 18-22 says, says that Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and therefore he is talking to us believers. He says, Consider the people of Israel. Do not these who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that the food sacrificed to an idol, to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Think about table, like sitting around a table. That's an intimate relationship. You don't, you don't just invite strangers to come sit at your table. So all around the church of Pergamon, these pagan offerings are happening to the demons. Are, are, the offerings are happening to the demons and they are seated at the table of demons. 
I can't imagine how many demons were in that area, how much spiritual battle had to be going on all around them. And yet Jesus says, you have remained true to my name and not renounced your faith. There isn't known, much known about Antipas, but we can gather here from the scripture that he was faithful to the end. He was martyred. And while we don't know much about him, we can compare him to Stephen for a visual. Stephen was stoned in the city to the point of death. The, per the, the church of Pergamon, at the very least, would have heard about Antipas. I bet some even saw his death. It's one thing to say, I will remain in the faith when the threat isn't real. But to not only have the threat, but to see the threat carried out on a fellow believer, that would have been enough to shake most people's faith. But the church of Pergamon didn't waver. Jesus continues, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate the food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Balak's story is told in Numbers. He was a king who feared that such a large number of Israelites passing through his country would be highly dangerous for his people and for himself. So he hired Balaam, a sorcerer and prophet known for his effective curses and blessings, to pronounce a curse on the Israelites. At Balaam, at first, Balaam refused. He did acknowledge Yahweh, but he believed that he was not the only true God. Once offered money, he obliged. Unfortunately, money was motivating for him. Some people can be bought to do, even what they know to be wrong, as long as the amount of money is the right amount. So Balaam curses the Israelites and later encouraged them to worship idols. Again, we cannot sit at the table of the Lord and the table of Satan. So when Balaam encouraged the Israelites to eat the food worshipped to idols, he was encouraging them to sit at the table of Satan. So some of the believers of the church of Pergamon hold on to these teachings. And by holding on to those teachings, they were welcoming demons into their house and their lives without even realizing it. Jesus goes on to say in Revelations 2.15, Likewise, you, who have, you also have those who hold on to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We spoke about them in the church of Ephesus. Not much is known, but we know this. They hated the practices of the Nicolaitans. And rest assured, if Jesus hated it, Satan loved it. Jesus goes on to say, Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Notice it says, I will come to you and fight them. He is saying, you need to be using the, the, the sword, of the word of God, scripture, to fight against those who are holding to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, to teach them and remind them to provide them with spiritual nourishment instead of ignoring them. There is a leadership saying that what you permit, you promote, what you allow, you encourage, what you condone, you own, and what you tolerate, you deserve. I think this to be very accurate in what Jesus is saying here. Sometimes it's easier to turn a blind eye to a situation, to excuse behavior, because that's easier than confrontation. Sometimes we want to we want to fit in, or we don't want to be the only one standing up for what is right. When we do this, though, we permit, so we're promoting it. We're allowing it, so we're encouraging it. We're condoning it, so we're owning it. And we're tolerating it, so we deserve the outcome of it. He is telling them, if you don't handle this, I will, and it's not going to be pretty. We have to ask ourselves, are we more, of more afraid of confrontation, or should we be fearing God more? Jesus finishes the letter to the church of Pergamon with this. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one, again, this singular, singular phrase going on, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a name written on it, known only to the name of the one who receives it. What I find interesting is a lack of plural in this section. 
We see this in all the letters where the conviction is occurring. He says, whoever has ears, let them, which is plural, hear. But then it goes on to say, to the one, which is singular, and I give that, which is a singular person. I just wonder if this is an indication that very few will repent. He wants all to hear, but knows that very few will be able to repent. Very few will win. In Pergamum, they will let fear control them, and in doing so, allow harm to come to the believers who are following those ways, as well as the damage to those around them. I love the part about the hidden manna. Manna we know to be the food that would reappear every morning for Moses and the Israelites while they were wandering in the desert. The manna was their daily nourishment, and it was a great visualization of God's grace being new every day. But in a way, he is telling the church of Pergamon that if you nourish your fellow believers with a double-edged sword that we know to be the word of God, he will be faithful to the people, to, he will be faithful to provide for us hidden manna, a nourishment unlike any other. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. If we only use the sword to teach, we are failing our brothers and sisters. If we only use the sword to rebuke, we are failing our brothers and sisters. If we only use the sword to correct, we are failing our brothers and sisters. Paul says to the Ephesians in Acts 20, 27, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That is what Jesus is telling the church of Pergamon. Proclaim the whole will of God. It's easy to say. It's not easy to walk out. It takes love, courage, and wisdom in equal amounts. If any of these buckets are unequally portioned, we tip to condemnation or hypergrace. Most importantly, above all those things, we must walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And finally, back in Revelations, when Jesus says, I will also give that person, again singular, a white stone with a new name on it, known only to the one who receives it. To me, the white stone is symbolic to Jesus. In Isaiah 28, 16, so this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. What I love most, though, is the name only known to the one who receives it. How intimate is that? My grandpa always called me Becky Joe. He was the only one. If anyone else called me Becky, I would cringe. But when he called me Becky Joe, it was a special nickname just between me and him. Today, thinking about it, it makes me tear up. I wish I could just hear him holler, Becky Joe, one more time. When Jesus says, I will give a new name only known to the one who receives it, Jesus will know it too. But to the one who repents, that special name will between, be between them and Jesus. I want that one. I want that special bond. It won't be easy. It won't be fun. But if we walk in the Holy Spirit and his wisdom, then we will have success in using the double-edged sword, the word of God to teach rebuke, correct, and train in the righteousness of God. Do you find yourself in Pergamum? Do you see an opportunity to repent? And finally, was the Church of Pergamum commended, convicted, or both? Thank you for listening to this episode of Broken Messenger.